The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, and in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, Puerto Rican pianist Carly Munoz, whose musical journey from the island to New York to L.A. is chronicled in his upcoming book, A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and Beyond. He'll share some of his story before his performance at Smith later this week, and he'll play for us. And we'll get into the reopening of Pothole Pictures up in Shelburne Falls. But first... To boldly go where no man has gone before. Time for some more kitchen table astronomy with Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid at your Amherst kitchen table. In the coming weeks, we're going to do a segment about something that we have talked a lot about and that we are quite skeptical of, space tourism. You're going to go and potentially experience a friend who is going to be a space tourist. Uh, Yes, so I am uh, going to New Mexico. So this particular flight is for uh, Virgin Galactic. And uh, this person, um, she's from Pakistan. So she's the first Pakistani space tourist and things like that. So yeah, I was uh, invited to go and watch it. So I think it would be really cool. I mean, you know, we have talked about it. There is skepticism. But on the other hand, this will also be an opportunity to actually see up close what happens and how do people think about it. So I'm excited and I would uh, love to talk about it after I come back. Not to mention that I get to go back to Las Cruces, New Mexico State, where I did my PhD. Nice. So I'm really looking forward to visiting the department again. I absolutely loved it. And I, yes, Amherst is great. Fabulous 413 is fabulous. <laughs> but I absolutely love New Mexico and the weather over there and the big skies. Yeah. And they have better aliens than we do. Better aliens, real ones, uh-huh. not the fake ones. <laughs> <laughs> but today we are talking about the moon where... Science fiction has warned us never to travel because, potentially, it is one of the best places in our solar system for life. What are we talking about today? So we are talking about Jupiter's moon Europa. For people who did not get the reference that Monty made, that is to 2010, uh, not two th- the sequel to 2001 Space Odyssey and Few people have read the book and few were still watched that sequel. I think it's fine. Like, you know, it's, it's a good sequel. But uh, spoiler alert, uh, but it's, that came out like 50, 40 years ago. So I think it's, it's okay. But at the end of uh, the movie, Arthur C. Clarke's warning comes in that, or the aliens in Space Odyssey, whichever, whatever they are, that all worlds are yours except Europa attempt no landing there. And at the time, actually, we did not know that Europa had an ocean uh, under the ice sheet. We did not know it was an interesting place. So the most likely explanation is that Arthur C. Clarke is an alien. Ah, love it. But uh, Always jump right to alien. That's what science <laughs> says. When you don't know something, must, must be an alien. Well, uh, UAP added to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary last week, though. Wow, yeah. that is really cool. An unidentified uh, aerial phenomenon. Yeah. And, and, I sh- and I should mention that uh, with that kind of scrutiny, as I gave you, uh, I should be testifying in front of Congress. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so, so uh, the U- ocean of Europa uh, is an interesting place. We know that normally people used to think in terms of habitable zone, and that is uh, the distance 
of a planet from its star where water can exist in liquid form. So of course the earth is in the habitable zone. It's neither too close uh, or too far away. The water can exist in liquid form. It's also called the Goldilocks zone. But with moons of giant planets like Jupiter and Saturn, we discovered that you can also have large moons where the interior is being heated by something called like the tidal forces of the giant planet, meaning to say it squishes it, like near side is experiencing a little more gravity than the far side. And as, because it's an elliptical orbit, as it goes around, it the interior got sort of like squished and you can actually have volcanoes. Now, on top of it, like Europa, you have an ice sheet. So you can have liquid water, ice basically that is melting because of the underwater volcanoes, but it's not evaporating because you have an ice sheet on top. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes Europa a really exciting place. Uh, if you get too close, uh, there is another moon, big moon, Io, it's all volcanism. But if you, again, so Europa is a little bit farther away that there is an ice sheet. And also there are other moons, Ganymede and Callisto, which we also think might be interesting. But Europa is a fascinating place. We know there is liquid water ocean, and we also know that that water is salty. And so the conditions are there for life and uh, potentially for life. And, uh, and that's what a lot of focus is on. There was some recent discoveries about Europa. Back to James Webb Space Telescope. Cannot take a break from it. <laughs> we always talk about galaxies that are far, far away. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. But it is also looking at our own solar system. And again, it is looking in the infrared with very high precision. And so there was Hubble Space Telescope observations that had found that actually showed that there is definitely sodium chloride or salt in the oceans of Europa. So James Webb Space Telescope looked at in the infrared and it found evidence of carbon dioxide. And it's not even distributed over the entire uh, moon, but rather a much more localized region. It's called, the region is called Tara Regio. And it finds that there is a definite signal of carbon dioxide. And more interestingly, it looks like it is coming from the ocean underneath. Because you can have a signal like that, for example, of carbon uh, coming from meteoroids crashing on it and things like that. But this particular region uh, is what astronomers technically call a chaos region because the material is mixing up from the ocean underneath. So there is ice sheet and it has been cracked up a little and the ocean water is burgurgling through to a certain <laughs> degree. <laughs> and they found carbon signal of carbon dioxide in that region. And why is that exciting? We don't know why there is carbon dioxide in there, but it tells you potentially that carbon, which is an important element for life, that it exists there and it exists there mixed up with the ocean. So that means that something is producing it. Now there can be many different ways to produce carbon dioxide, but it shows that the conditions in the oceans of Europa may be similar, may be similar 
to conditions on earth. So potentially there can be life. So I don't think anybody is claiming yet that this carbon dioxide is being burped out. I am. <laughs> Europa, mermaids, and mermen. <laughs> That's right. He's a human. You're a mermaid. That doesn't make us enemies. But it just tells you that the conditions in Europa's oceans contain carbon and it's also oxygenated if it's carbon dioxide. So it just leads to one step closer to thinking about this is a place which is, and no pun intended, completely alien in terms of the way we think about life, but rather it is a place where the conditions are such that we are familiar with those conditions here on Earth where life is plentiful. Is there a plan in violation of Arthur C. Clarke's cautionary tale in 2010 to go to Europa and maybe take a sample to see if there actually is life in the underwater ocean of that moon of Jupiter? Absolutely. So next year, there is a big NASA mission going. It's called Europa Clipper mission. It's going to uh, observe Europa pretty closely. That is its primary mission. It's not going to send sort of like, you know, a robot probe yet. We'll attempt no landing there. Attempt no landing there. Uh, there is another mission from the European Space Agency, which is called JUICE. Uh, no connection to Lizzo. But it is a Jupiter icy moons explorer. Its primary target is Ganymede, actually, but it's also going to observe Europa and Callisto. Both of these missions, I think, are expected to get there around 2030. And so there's going to be a lot of studies that are going to be there. One other thing, considering about the same observation that I mentioned about the detection of carbon dioxide, one thing that scientists were looking for were actually plumes from Europa emanating out. There were some detections from Hubble Space Telescope and they did not find it. The reason it's connected is because one of the things they're trying to do is that you can actually fly close to Europa. So for example, you with Europa Clipper and it can actually sample the material coming from the oceans below. Unfortunately, even though there were a couple of potential detections before, this new observations by James Webb Space Telescope did not find any plumes that could be detected. Doesn't mean that the plumes don't, don't, uh, are not there any, anymore, uh, but it's possible that they may be periodic, they may not, or, or at least sort of like, you know, they don't stay for a long time or they come in and out for various reasons. But that's another thing that when the mission goes, even without landing on Europa, you can actually analyze material that's coming out that has been done for Saturn's moon Enceladus. I mean, these places are fascinating and I would bet, and so Monty, to your claim about aliens, I think it would be weirder if we go and look at the oceans of these moons, which we know have organic compounds. We know because they are common in the universe. They are brought in by meteoroids and other places. We know there is heat because there are underwater volcanoes and you have liquid water. I mean, to think about for billions of years, those conditions have existed and even microbes didn't come about. I think to me, that would be far more surprising than to find microbes, which would be amazing. What kind of life form would that be? Would it be based on DNA? Would it be different types of molecules? So and so forth. So there'd be fascinating questions, but to me, it would be far more surprising if there is no life there. And if we found even that one microbe 
it would change the entire course of human events. Yeah, we would just have to think very differently because then it would mean that, well, life is actually really, really common. And uh, you mentioned uh, 2010 or 2001 Space Odyssey, of course. Uh, if you have less patience for uh, longer films, there was a very small indie film called Europa Report that came out, I think, about six, seven years ago. Find it. It's like, you know, low budget, sci-fi, thoughtful, but it's sort of like, you know, a sober film about a mission to Europa. That's another take on that. And with U2 taking over the sphere in Las Vegas, they're doing Octune Baby, which was, of course, a precursor to what might be their greatest album, Zuropa. All <laughs> oh, right, that's right. Well, I don't know if there is life on Zuropa or not. Intelligent life, I don't know. Oh, I, I shouldn't criticize. Don't make fun of Bono. Bono, I'm sorry. Zuropa is such a good album. I love that album. They only kept going in that direction. I know, right? I know. <sighs> Later in the show, Live Music Monday with Puerto Rican keyboard phenomenon Carly Munoz who's played with everyone from Wilson Pickett to the Beach Boys. He's playing for free at Smith this Thursday. He's got a new book coming out, and we he'll play for us later in the show. Up next, the triumphant return of Pothole Pictures to Memorial Hall Theater in Shelburne Falls with curator Andrew Baker. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We welcome Andrew Baker, the founder of Pothole Pictures in Shelburne Falls. In March of 2020, Pothole Pictures was on the verge of celebrating 25 years as a volunteer-run community movie theater. And then something happened. I have no idea what it was. But after a prolonged pandemic pause, Pothole Pictures picks up from where it packed it in Saturday. Andrew Baker, welcome to The Fabulous 413. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's such a little... That's so many peas. I know. I couldn't help it. Peter Piper picked a pick of peppers. Uh, and Pothole Pictures is what we're talking about, so that's why I, I fell victim to the alliteration. Um, tell us about opening night. What's going to happen at this resurgence of Pothole Pictures on Saturday? Well, we have a, uh, a, a an appropriate reawakening film. We're going to be, we're going to be reaching way back and... And uh, starting with a, a wonderful silent movie made in 1916, it's the silent version of Snow White. Aha. Uh -huh. And um, and the the uh, the hook there is that uh, we have a a uh, composer harpist named Leslie McMichael who's written an original music score for this film, and will be coming to perform it live with her sister. Barbara, who performs on viola. So we'll have harp and viola accompanying the, the 1916 Snow White that inspired Walt Disney. Have you watched this silent film version of it? I have not seen it yet. Yeah, I'm not. Oh. I'm not familiar with it either. So yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how similar it is to the Disneyfied version <laughs> of it, because a lot of those fairy tales are more, if you'll pardon the pun, grim. And yeah. and frankly, like uh, Walt Disney got a lot of inspiration from some of those early movies to put in the early films, too. What started this combination of film and local music at for Pothole Pictures? Well, well, let me just start by saying that Walt Disney did see this movie in 1916 uh -huh. as a 15-year-old. Wow. And it inspired him 20 years later to make the full the animated version of Snow White, which was the full the first full-length animated movie ever made. Mm -hmm. So this movie has a, has a connection to Walt Disney in that way. Yeah. 
but but we started um, really down this road of doing kind of special event movies that combine music with silent films or what we call our meet the director kind of movies where we it's not necessarily always the director but somebody involved with the film comes and presents it and kind of gives us the behind the scenes um, look at at that movie um, and that you know I think part of the reason we did that was one to feature movies that are made in New England um, or have a connection to New England and the other Wait, does was, Snow White have a connection to New England? No, oh, okay. no, but but uh, <laughs> the, the, the musicians do. Oh, there you go, great. <laughs> and um, and the uh, and the other was really to to really create one of a kind events that you you can't replicate in your in your home, but you have to come down to the theater to take part in. Yeah, there's something magical about seeing things on the big screen, first of all, even though the screens in many people's houses have gotten bigger and bigger <laughs> over the years, but seeing it Still together with folks, yeah. especially with live music, is really exciting. It's happening. The first, the relaunch of Pothole Pictures this Saturday in Shelburne Falls. For those who don't know, why is Pothole Pictures called Pothole Pictures? It is not a complaint against the DPW of <laughs> Shelburne or Buckland. Well, the reason we, we chose, or I chose that name uh, back in 1995 was really that we are right around the corner from the glacial potholes, which are this tremendous geological feature uh, that you can see in the riverbed of the Deerfield River right in downtown Shelburne Falls. That you used to be able to swim in, which yeah, was really fun. You used to be able to go down and just like walk around in them, but it's not, yeah. they don't let people, it's not, not safe I know, anymore. it's very sad. Yes. Uh, my, my grandma and I used to swim in the potholes. Uh, <laughs> so you, tell us about the birth of this, in, when you said 1990 was when, or 95, when you started this idea? Tell us what inspired you to start showing movies and doing some creative things with them in this beautiful gem of a, I think it's the largest theater once you reopen in Franklin County, right? 400 seats? Um, no, I don't think it quite has that. that well, uh, <laughs> there might be some on, on university think, places or like uh, campuses uh, perhaps. I think, but. Yeah, I think the uh, the high school auditorium yeah, is bigger than Yeah, I'm not counting ours, them. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but for theater theaters, yes, we're probably, we probably are the largest. Um, but no, I, st I started Pothole Pictures as part of a, larger effort to revive and revitalize the Memorial Hall Theater, which is the on the second and third floors of the Shelburne Town Hall. And um, there, it's like many New England towns, it's a, it has a town hall theater. Uh, this one had been closed for about 30 years prior to 1995. Um, in part because it was not handicap accessible, mm -hmm. and in part really because single screen movie theaters kind of died out in the 1960s and 70s. They were no longer economically viable once the multiplexes started to come in. And um, this, uh, our, our hall had a, had a single screen theater from about the 1930s to the 1960s, and then it went dark, and, and um, we were fortunate to uh, get a grant, a large million-dollar grant from um, the uh, Community Development Block Grant Program to do a downtown revitalization program. And I got hired out of planning school to help run that grant <laughs> uh -huh. and, and, and to serve as the first uh, director of the business association. And um, so when we, and one of our projects was to put a, a, an elevator into the hall um, that would make the theater usable once again. So when we did that, um, 
then the local editor of the paper said, well, what should we do with the theater? And he was an amateur uh, thespian, so he started a, a, uh, uh, the West County Players, and they did okay. plays there for many years. And I sort of raised my hand and said, well, I've always loved movies and watched old movies in college, and uh, I'll help you start a movie theater. And so That's I... That's so great. Uh, what was the first movie you showed in 1995, do you remember? I do, clearly, because <laughs> it, was, it was nominated by our projectionist. Uh, oh. and, uh, and it was uh, Around the World in 80 Days. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that's, the projectionist is really the, the hook of the story of why we got to be a theater. He's a guy, um, a, a uh, and retired machinist named Bernie Butler, who worked at Mayhew Tools for many years. And he moonlighted at the Carl Nilman's movie theater from about the 40s to the 60s. Wow. And when that theater closed, Carl Nilman allowed him to keep the old carbon arc projectors. And because he was a machinist, he kept them in working order in his basement. And so when I said I wanted to start a movie theater, people said, well, go talk to Bernie. And I got to know Bernie, and we kind of brought him out of retirement. He brought his projectors back. And we were in business. So we, we uh, gave Bernie first pick of the movies there. <laughs> so will you be using these projectors this weekend or, or, or has the I technology wish. moved on? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> both uh, Bernie has moved on to oh. greener pastures. Uh, he died in the early 2000s. Uh-huh. And um, at right about the same time that the whole movie industry was going digital. Right. right. And we had to go digital with it. So... Um, Unfortunately, we no longer have those uh, wonderful carbon arc projectors. That uh, what a great story, though. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen that. But we had a great run with Bernie for about for about ten years or That's so. What was the first one that brought in a local artist for the music component of it? Um, actually, that was a project I did with. Um, my downstairs housemate, whose name is Peter Blanchett, oh. who is a dear friend, <laughs> and really? Peter, Peter, an incredible now musician. In, Peter lives in Northampton, but I teamed up with Don Sanders at the Massachusetts International Festival of the Arts, and we raised some grant money, and we hired Peter to write an original music score to Buster Keaton's The General. Oh wow! And we performed, and he came with a band and performed that live. And, and it, it, that year, which was 1996, um, Kodak had just remastered the general. So it was like watching a museum set of images of, of uh, one of the greatest movies ever made. And uh, Peter's group just really brought it to life. We sold out the theater for three nights. It was kind of the... We hit the peak early there. (laughs) (laughs) We've never replicated that. uh, Who knows what will happen with this series? (laughs) Exactly, because you've been gone for three years, and like I think maybe people have realized the gem that they have. (laughs) Plus, your season is really, really great. But is there a difference between your fall-winter season versus your spring-summer season? Not really, no. Okay. It, um, just, it just seems to have That's actually prestige. kind of, again, part of our history is when, when we reopened the theater, we had an elevator, but we had no heating or cooling system. Yeah. Oh. And so we started these little seasons, as we call them, in the fall and in the spring, and we ran movies until it got too cold or until it got too hot. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then we stopped and, until the, the next sort of temperate season. And we've kind of kept that rhythm because we're a volunteer group and 
we need a little breather, and so yeah. We, although we, you do have films in January and February, so is the heat on now? Or? They, we do have a yeah. heating and cooling system. Yeah, that's yeah. good because those buildings are hard to heat. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the return of Pothole Pictures begins this Saturday with Snow White, a silent film with an mu- original musical score, live by composer harpist Leslie uh, um, McMichael and her sister Barbara McMichael on. The viola, and then there's a bunch of other great movies. Really fantastic movies with um, with scores too, like movies that are uh, more contemporary that you wouldn't expect to have these new scores with them, like Doctor Strangelove coming. Right. Well, not a score with the movie, but um, oh, okay. So that's those are that's uh, music that's another the movie. another feature of ours I is see. music at the movies. Got it. We uh, invite local musicians to come and volunteer their time since we're kind of a volunteer theater, and um, we pass the hat for them, and uh, they play for half an hour in front of the movie. So it's kind of like the old newsreels or whatever, you know, where you have uh, some free entertainment before the movie starts. That's amazing, because I had thought that there was going to be like a fiddle accompaniment to Crouching Tiger, <laughs> Hidden Dragon, the Ang Lee movie, which I love, which would be incredible, but yeah. isn't actually what's happening. We're bringing on a new punk soundtrack to Mystery Train, which is on this list. I'm <laughs> yeah. so happy to see that movie on this list. I love that movie. Right. Yeah. The Jim Jarmusch. Yes. Uh, it's an excellent movie. It is fantastic. Yeah. Moonrise Kingdom, the more, I mean, even more contemporary, the Wes Anderson mm-hmm. film uh, with live musical accompaniment before that. And then they'll this part of the season in, in February will end with a sing along, yes, to Mary Poppins. Right, right. We I, I think eclectic mix is what characterizes our our uh, choice of, of uh, movies for the season. We try to mix up the decades of the films, have some classics, some indie films, some documentaries, some foreign films, and um, that's that's been one of the sort of hallmarks of Pothole Pictures is kind of mixing it up and trying to find something for everybody. Andrew Baker, who is the founder of Pothole Pictures in Shelburne Falls, essentially a volunteer to bring these films back to this historic theater that has been on pandemic pause. But you're also uh, a select board member? I have been serving on the Shelburne Select Board for the last eight years. What does this theater mean for the, the health of downtown Shelburne Falls? Oh, I think I think it's essential for any town to to have a have a theater of some kind. I know you, Monty, have been vital in in reviving the Shea Theater in or creating the Shea Theater in Turner's Falls. I didn't create it. I, oh, okay. I was I, I did form a nonprofit board <laughs> that revived that. Theater. That was been going around since 1925. So yeah. Well, Turner's is kind of on the east side of Greenfield, and we're the falls on the west side of Greenfield. But but every small town, I think. When I look back in history, when I was starting to research this, I was amazed that all across New England there are these small town theaters. And I think a theater is really, you know, when you look back in, you know, even to the ancient Greeks and their amphitheaters, we all need a theater in our community to tell stories in. And, uh, you know, I think this this has had a, a great run since 1895, and we are just feel excited to be able to bring it to life and, and keep... Uh, even though we, you know, I think in a town of seventeen hundred people, it's pretty darn hard to make a commercially viable I know theater it. there. I know so, it. <laughs> so volunteer run is how we do it. We kinda, I also know that. <laughs> we kind of <laughs> we kind of uh, learn to make our own fun in little towns, you know. But, a- um, Andrew yeah. Baker from Pothole Pictures, which will return this Saturday and has a great season ahead. 
thank you so much for uh, bringing the lights back to that theater and bringing so much great uh, theater to downtown Shelburne Falls. Well, thank you again for having me. It was great to be part of this. And as a as an NEPM supporter, it's it's wonderful to see your spot down here and Aww. see all the different things you're doing. We and appreciate the shameless plug. We did not ask for the shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know how important it is for to keep radio on the air. Tonight, yes, so. thank you. Thank you for saying so. <laughs> on the way, musician Carly Munoz. Local publisher Interlink Books releases his book on October 10th. Carly Munoz will be telling stories and performing at Smith College this Thursday, but he's telling stories and playing for us now. Up next, you're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Local publishers Interlink Books have a new release called A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and Beyond by Carly Munoz. Munoz is the former pianist for the Beach Boys, and the new book is a tell-all memoir chronicling the Forrest Gumpian journey through the 1960s and 70s music scene from jazz and psychedelic rock to touring the world with the Beach Boys. It includes never-before-told stories about the Beach Boys and gives insight to the mind of this Puerto Rican-born musician who has strived to live, love, experience, and create with all his heart and soul. Munoz will be celebrating his new book, telling stories, and performing for free this Thursday at 7 p.m. at Sage Hall at Smith College. We are also welcoming Michelle Mushebeck, the founder, publisher, editor of Interlink Publishing, based in Northampton, who will be accompanying the great Carly Munoz who will be playing keyboard on percussion. Let's start out with a tune.
I'll tell you what, nothing makes me feel like this is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for Grown Ups more than hearing improvisational jazz piano like that in the studio. That was Carly Munoz, who is the Puerto Rican-born keyboard player being assisted by Michelle Mushabek, who is not only an extraordinary percussionist, but also the publisher behind Interlink Publishing, who is publishing Carly Munoz's new tell-all memoir, A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and Beyond. I guess maybe the first question might be to you, Michelle. Did, was it the world of jazz that brought you to the stories of Carly Munoz and wanting to publish his well, stories? It's it's a long story, but I'll give you the, the short end of it. You know, <laughs> Carly and I became friends when we started going to, to Puerto Rico, and I spend at least four months of every year in Puerto Rico. Nice. I escaped the winter in New England. That's I'm going to be my... joining you one of these years. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I met Carly at, at his restaurant in Old San Juan at, at Carly's uh, Bistro and Piano Bar. And one day I just happened to have my cajon with me when I was there because I had another gig. So happened to have it. <laughs> <laughs> and a cajon is a drum. The seat-shaped <laughs> box hey, drum that you're Don't leave home without it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So I started jamming with Carly, and that was 20 years ago. Wow. And we've, became, we've become close friends. And then during the pandemic, he told me, hey, I, I'm writing a book. And I, uh, to be honest, if I can be honest with you, I, I, I dreaded it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I said, this is my friend, you know, and he's going to ask me to read the manuscript yeah. and publish it and whatever. And, you know, and I didn't know whether, I mean, I know he's an amazing jazz musician, but could he write? I didn't know that. Uh -huh. mm. But I was, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised and I was blown away <laughs> when I received this, his manuscript. It's just, it's a page turner. It's, uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a real chronicle of the 60s and 70s music scene, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's amazing how much he remembered. I know, know. given all, yeah. all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, given. But yes. it's also fun that, well, like, not fun, but I think important to see more of those histories done not through European gaze, too. So it's really, f yeah. It, yeah. it's a, such a cool premise. Well, it, like, it's not a premise, it's your life. Yeah. You hear that, Jan <laughs> <Yeah>. Wenner? Well... <laughs> Well, they say if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. <laughs> so, but, but, but there's pictures, but, so yeah, like, yeah, hey. I don't remember anything. <laughs> Carly does its best to remember in the new book, A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and Beyond. To the Beach Boys and Beyond makes sense. Beyond is a big deal there. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. What, tell us about The Fool's Journey. Why is this called A Fool's Journey? Well, I can identify with that, first, <laughs> firstly. It's, uh, it's been a journey, a real journey, ups and downs. And I, 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 uh, I look into the, the fool on the card, the tarot card, which is ah. like, you know, that symbol of this guy, this vagabond with this broom, you know, spindle and, and uh, you know, it's, it's like it's going middle, through the- That's a walk off a cliff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cliff and, and then the blue sky and the prairies and the, that, that whole uh, roller coaster up and down of life, which was my life mm. and beyond because, uh, I mean, it's, it is not a, uh, I just want to be clear, it's not a book about the Beach Boys. Mm -hmm. It is, it is uh, you know, an autobiography, just a Beach Boys happened to be there in the middle of the sandwich. Yeah. They're, they're like, you know, right in the middle, but it's like I chronicle my life before from, from the 50s. 
and, uh, and then the Beach Boys, uh, the, I, the time I spent with them, which was uh, roughly uh, 69 through 81 when I left. Mm-hmm. And then my what happened after, which is all like all... Uh, it's all there. You know, yeah. Because you didn't point. just play with the Beach Boys. Like, you played with Les McCann and with mm-hmm. Chico Hernandez and with uh, George Benson. Like right. Wilson Pickett. Names. Wilson Pickett. Ricky, Ricky Lee yeah. oh, wow. The Beach yeah. Boys were fans of Wilson Pickett, and that was part of why they, they wanted, really wanted me to play keyboards with them. So cool. We're speaking with Carly Munoz, who will be at Smith College performing for free 7 p.m. Sage Hall and talking about this new book that's published by the... Northampton-based publisher Interlink Publishing, A Fool's Journey, um, is part of The Fool's Journey deciding to leave Puerto Rico and go to New York with $11. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about about what motivated you to go to to, to up and leave the the island where you grew up to come to New York City. by that time... um, And what time are we talking about? We're talking uh, early 60s, let's Mm -hmm. say 64, 65, 66... uh, we were uh, we had a band. Uh, uh, I was a part founder of a band called The Living End. Not to be confused, there was another later Living End from I believe from Australia, it was a punk band, but mm-hmm. uh, it was The Living End, and we were very successful. But part of that success was for like we were doing a lot of LSD, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it was it was legal. You yeah. know, at, at that time it was still legal, and and uh, we just did it freely, and we loved playing LSD, which gave us tremendous uh, edge because we could weed out what didn't work, and and we were really aware of our, you know, what we were doing. So, uh, but at the same time, we became like the threat of society. <laughs> ah. <laughs> so. Because of the LSD, because, or because of the, we were Puerto Rican, or why? Yeah, no, Both. we were in Puerto Rico, so uh-huh. oh, because okay, of yeah. because of the LSD. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we're like first page, and you know, uh, main uh, stream editorials, and as like the you know the kids who are perverting the other you know society and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So we we knew it was time to leave. Also, we won all the they used to have a lot of like contests, rock concerts. And contests, you know, battles of the band. Battles of the band was a really, really big thing. Then. Yeah. And we won them all. I mean, there was really no, no other place to go. So we got this offer to go to St. Thomas, uh, where the mamas and the papas were. And, you know, that's just whole conundrum of, you know, like uh, music and LS, more LSD. And, uh, <laughs> 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 all the party favors. Yeah. Kids, so, if you're listening, LSD is not the key to a successful music <laughs> right, career. Right, right. But... It was a different anymore. time. <laughs> anymore. It had a little something to do with it. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Well, right, right, right. We're going to hear more about this fool's journey that's chronicled in the new Northampton-based published book, A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and Beyond, with Carly Munoz and with Michelle Mushebeck, and perhaps we can coax a little more music out of them before the end of the show. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. And we are joined in the studio by Carly Munoz, who is an extraordinary keyboard player and has a new memoir about his life in rock and roll and jazz called A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and Beyond. And we are also joined by Michelle Mushebeck, who is accompanying Carly on percussion, but is also the publisher behind this new book that's due out uh, in about 10 days. And there will be an event at Sage Hall at Smith College 
about the book and the music on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, October 5th at 7 o'clock, and it's free and open to the public. And there's going to be an amazing jazz quintet as well. It's oh, wow. not just the two of us playing ah, uh, nice. for you. There's going to be a conversation between uh, the editor of the Massachusetts Review, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Jim Hicks, who uh, just excerpted a chapter from Carly's memoir in this month's issue of the Massachusetts Review. Oh, wicked cool. Excellent. And so he'll be asking Carly, he'll have a conversation with Carly, ask him some questions, then we're going to open it up for some Q&As, and then there's going to be a concert with the Carly Munoz Quintet. All for free (laughs) at 7 o'clock at Smith College Stage Hall this Thursday. But I want to ask you about your music specifically, because I think your first solo album comes out in 2000. That's a a long time from your initial start want to talk about your your journey to that album and then I want to ask you about your new album okay yeah so so first like how did we get to your your first solo album being so late yeah I know it's kind of like a late bloomer there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know I was uh, my, my father used to say hey Carly you are too much of a perfectionist if you keep going like that you won't get anything done mm-hmm. so I, I believe that was a problem I, I was like you know, waiting to make things perfect, the perfect situation, the perfect this, the perfect that, until I realized, it. I mean, his wise words, and that he was so right, and uh, I just decided, okay, I just got to start doing what I want to do, on, and uh, not wait for that perfect moment, for that perfect thing, and, and you know, it just, uh, just triggered a stream of uh, records and events that... Uh, Got me here today. <laughs> and was Maverick the, your first album? No. no. The, the first one was Love, uh, Love Tales. Tales. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, which was solo, piano solo. Mm. And then uh, Eddie Gomez came to me, and uh, he loved he loved that, and he, he told me, and he said he wanted to produce a, uh, a jazz album. And we love playing duo, which is crazy, because the first time I, I played with Eddie Gomez on bass, it's like I was listening to him play, so I would get lost. <laughs> you, you can't play with him and listen. You have to kind of like do your own thing because he's just wild and crazy. He'll just go all over the place, which is a beautiful thing. But mm-hmm. and it all works together. But you have to stay in your own thing. You can't concentrate on him. So uh, then eventually I caught that, and we just had so much fun playing together. Then we added. Uh, uh, he suggested Jack DeJohnette for for drumming on Maverick. Mm. And, uh, you know, we've done quite a few uh, projects together since different drummers and uh, uh, Joe Chambers and uh, Billy Drummond and all sorts of great musicians. But this last album that you put out is another basically solo piano record, but the sound is entirely different. It's so sparse. Okay. Gali Matias. Yeah. You must be talking about Gali Matias. Yeah, Gali Matias. Yeah, well, Gali Matias, you know, it's, it's actually originally it's a f- French uh, word, but it comes from the Greeks and all that stuff, like everything. You know? <laughs> 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 but uh, Galimatias in English means a semic, which mm-hmm. means uh, it doesn't have a meaning. It doesn't have any kind of significant, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's anti-meaning. Anyway, so uh, the uh, real semic part of that is, is a vocal thing. If you notice, there's some like sounds yeah. like kind of gibberish. Well, it is. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have any meaning whatsoever, and and as far as I know, I mean, it's it's the only time that it's been done with the music. I mean, there was some, you know, with the data movement, there were people doing that sort of thing, and 
more like in solo, uh, you know, vocal, uh, uh, you know, performances. But uh, with the music, like that, with the avant-garde, contemporary uh, piano, avant-garde uh, improvisations, it's just it's a first. Yeah, it was really interesting and striking to have it in the middle of the album. And, well, uh, let's hear more of of it. Yeah, we're, we're going to run out of time it. if we don't um, uh, <laughs> let you play a little bit more, but I'll just say that it's Carly Munoz's new memoir that's out soon through Interlink Publishing in Northampton, A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and Beyond. You can just answer this question yes or no before you get back to the music, because okay. it is about the Beach Boys. Mike Love, as big of a horror story as I have been led to believe? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to read the book. I have a chef friend. Whoever, whenever anybody's a problem, they refer to him, to the problem person as Mike Love. So that just we did. goes with it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's hear some more of Carly Munoz on the keyboard and Michelle Mushabek, who is the excellent percussionist and publisher of this book, A Fool's Journey to the Beach Boys and do Beyond. We'll do and our outro now. Yeah, let's just yeah. do our outro now, and then you can keep uh, playing there. That tomorrow on the Fabulous Four One Three, we're meeting another mayor. We head to North Adams to talk with Mayor Jennifer Maxey about her life in civil service and service, and about her reelection campaign and infrastructure. And we'll also make a trip to the Holyoke Farmers Market to hang out with its brand new market manager, Alexis Diaz de Jesus. And some of the farmers you can meet there before they shift into winter market mode. Special thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Mary Poppins, Star Trek, David Tennant, Ahsoka, Lizzo, U2, and Carly Munoz. And now we'll hear more from Carly Munoz. (laughs) ¶¶ 